You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. What were some of the things during this last year that you saw that we can expose right now and then give us some things to overcome that? So one of the, I mean, honestly, across the board, I've, I've been talking to my colleagues and, and just the people in our, in our uh, field, mental health, a lot. Um, and we, we see across the board um, what we would call pathologies, right? If it, it's rage or addiction or across the board, everything is coming up, which makes sense. We're in, we're in a state of, of social anxiety. We're in a state of social panic is actually how I would language it. And so we're going to see those things come out. The body does not... Uh, the body tells the truth. So we can tell ourselves we're fine, but that uh, back pain, I can't even imagine what's going on in Dr. Matt's office. The, uh, the compulsive phone usage, the, they tell the truth about how we're really doing. And the, th- the three things, this kind of came up last service, the three things that we've seen really stand out as spiking is first and foremost, anxiety. Anxiety disorders are at the highest I've ever seen in my practice. And it makes sense because our nervous systems have this brilliant um, threat response system that you're, you're, God designed your brain to handle danger and threat really well. That you have the ability to be in an uncertain situation. Like if you're you know, hiking through the woods and you hear a noise and fear shoots through your body because somebody said there were rattlesnakes or wolves in that, you know, that trail or something. Um, your brain has this wonderful way of saying, okay, I'm tapping you on the shoulder. I feel fear in my body, letting you know the brain perceives threat. Not even you, not, not Brian. My brain perceives threat. And now I get to respond to that. Maybe I run away, which I have done when I hit a swarm of bees in the La Costa Rancho Preserve just two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> And my body's using up all the cortisol in its system and the adrenaline. And then I, I run like a couple hundred yards away and then I calm down and my body says, okay, I'm safe now. And it completes this loop. In social panic, staying home does not do a very good job of completing that threat loop. And so all of this anxiety is sitting in our system. And the ways that we say, when it's, particularly when it's emotional threat, The ways that we process that is verbally and emotionally. And then we cut ourselves off from our friends. We cut ourselves off from the community of God. And we expect that our nervous system isn't going to come reckon with us. And so we're seeing these things spike. The next one would be depression. Um, and we kind of, that kind of came up. I'll just, I'll just jump to it because you brought it up last time. Michaela asked this wonderful question. She was basically saying, uh, there was a moment in our work where she was, she was naming these symptoms that she was going through. And I said, well, what you're describing is depression. And just naming that is so helpful because we think we experience these symptoms, right? This like, man, my energy is low. I, I don't take joy in my kids. I, I, wake up dreading work, Um, I want to sleep in, or more often for men, depression does not look like what we classically describe depression as. It usually looks more like anger, withdrawal, rigidity. It's this kind of hostile emotional posture. And then we think, man, you need to get over yourself, but that man doesn't even realize he's going through depression. It's a healthy response to a circumstance in your life that is no longer sustainable, Depression is a healthy response. And if we can name that for ourselves, because your brain, 
and your nervous system is not designed to stay elevated wow. indefinitely. Yeah. We're not designed to walk around, cut off from our, our community, carrying all this threat. And now I'm like walking across the street if a stranger's coming down the road and like danger everywhere and I have nothing to do with it. It wasn't designed to live that way. So your brain has this brilliant response to saying, okay, the system has been hot for too long. We got to turn off the system. And we can't select, we can't just turn off anxiety. We can't just turn off this sense of injustice because my, my boss or my coworker doesn't treat me in a way that feels okay. We can only turn off the whole system and we call that depression. And then lastly, compulsion or what we might refer to as addiction is on an all time rise in, in the history of my practice at least. And just like Dr. Matt was saying, usually, because our, our society does not like emotion, we're not big emotion fans, so usually our first response as a society is to deny emotion when it comes up, particularly if it's negative. If it's good emotion, we can make space for that. Negative emotion, if I feel scared, if I feel angry, if I feel hurt, I'm, I, our first response is to deny that. And we can't do that very long, so then we, we usually tend to turn towards distractions. And we see like, oh my gosh, the first thing I reached for and the last thing I touched at the beginning, at the end of my day was my cell phone. The other, the other day I was, playing trains with my girls and I, I had worked about 30 minutes past what I said. I'd come downstairs and I had, um, well, I, just, I named it last time. So I'll just say I had a trade open. Okay. So I'm like watching the number on this trade move and I'm trying to keep my eye on it. And my daughter, my nine-year-old says, Oh daddy, I'm so sorry. There's a rule in trains that there's no cell phones. <laughs> I said, no problem, sweetie. I'll just put that down. And I didn't think of it when she said that, or I, there's like a 50-50 chance I would have like made this adjustment before. But like 90 seconds later, my brain says, oh, that number's on your phone too. So there's a little, I don't know what they call it, this little widget on my phone that'll tell me the number that I, my brain wants to pay attention to. And so a second later, she says, oh, I'm sorry, Daddy, I actually said that wrong. It's no electronics. <laughs> and what I want to say at that moment is, you know, you don't get to tell Daddy what to do. I'm building your future. But she was 100% right. Like my brain, my ego wants to push that away. It wants to push away the correction of the Holy Spirit. It wants to say, no, no, no. I don't want to be present to the joy that my kids have for me right now. I would rather worry about this trade. And so I took off my watch. I put it down. And I made terrible suggestions playing train. Apparently, none of them got integrated into the narrative. But that's OK. We distract. First, we deny it. That doesn't last very long. We distract ourselves away from it. And then pretty soon, if we stay there too long, we start to see distortion come up. Because the most powerful prayer that we pray in our life is the prayer that we live. It's how we behave. Your choices, your behavior is a prayer that tells your limbic brain what you really believe about something. We can say that I'm not ashamed of the fact that I've struggled with pornography, but if every single time I struggle with pornography, I keep it a secret, my limbic brain says, oh, that's actually very dangerous information, and it stores it as shame. That's the most powerful prayer that you pray in your life. So in those moments where we deny and we're distracting, our brain is saying, wow, this is, man, this is like threat level orange. Apparently, Apparently, the world is really in a bit, lot of trouble because Brian is constantly distracting, he's constantly denying, and then it's going to come out in, in distortion of our world. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
I feel like I'm a little all over the place. No, I love it. So, so one thing that you did say the last time is when when people get angry at themselves. You talked about, mm-hmm. you know, they could be depressed. That's not their real identity. Mm-hmm. That's not Brian, per se. Can you go into that? Because a real identity in Christ, they would operate and you gave the verse. Well, and I love, um, you said going through depression. So it's not, you are depressed, it's you're going through it. And I love that you word it that way because then it gives us the power, not the victim to it. It gives us the power to pray into it, to identify what's happening in our life in that season and then come out the other side of it. Yeah, and we didn't really, you didn't receive that very well and then looked at me and said, (laughs) it's your fault. Uh, And I said, there's no way, I've never been depressed in my life. But we won't go in that it, we, yeah, right now. It, very um, sensitive subject happens? right there. But we, we were even in denial about that. I didn't want to hear my wife's depressed. You know what I mean? It's going through. Going through. Going through. She went through. Well, she was going the through a healthy response to an unsustainable circumstance. That's and right. once I was able to talk to him and he was able to identify what I was going through and why and what was happening in my physical body to cause that, I was like, all of it clicked. And then I was able to take authority over it. I had no idea. I'm like, because a lot of people have gone through feelings they never thought they would feel like I did during COVID um, due to isolation and due to, due to outside circumstances, how it was affecting me. My body couldn't handle it. And I ended up in this this situation. But then I was like, wait a minute, this is not okay or normal. But then I was able to realize, actually, we are all going through something right now. It looks a little different on different people. Different people have coped with what we went through in the past year differently. And so it normalizes it a bit. And not to say that in um, a way to make it okay, but it makes it okay that we all have dealt with the feelings that this last season has brought out um, and not feel like I'm the only one sitting over here going through depression, you. So, yes, that was helpful. But go so on good. to what you were going to say. So you guys referenced um, there is incredible power in naming a problem in your life, in naming sin, in naming fear. The Bible says that confess, each other, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. There's power in just, we haven't even lived differently yet, but we've named it. And by naming something, you actually separate yourself from it. You know, the root of the word confession is Latin con, meaning with, fessore, meaning to stand. So confession, the word means to stand in agreement. And when I say to my brother, man, I've been struggling. You know, I haven't looked at porn in a couple of years, and I've just found myself late at night. What I am doing is I am standing in agreement with what God says about me. And I'm saying this behavior is incongruent with who I am, and I refuse to participate in it. There's incredible power in the ability to name fear and sin. So in a moment like that, where we simply just naming, oh, my body is responding to this anxiety and this fear that I'm carrying, we automatically say, oh, maybe I need to care for my body, care for this need, instead of trying to continue to withstand it. And the Bible also says, I think this is what you were referring to, Dr. Matt, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of sound mind, and of self-control, and my nerd brain automatically goes to the three core attributes of identity, our agency, am I powerful or am I powerless? Of sound mind, am I worthy? Am I worthy of love and belonging? And of self-control, do I have safety? 
And so when the, the Lord is saying that, he's saying directly, you are worthy, you are powerful, and you are safe. And so when we get into a state of compulsion where maybe like I set a limit or I'm going to only, my whole family is only going to look at screens for one and a half or two hours a day. And then you enforce that with your kids because that's easy. That makes you feel good about yourself. But all of a sudden your, your, little, your little app pops up and it says, oh, five and a half daily average this week. You're like, what's going on there? I am out of my true identity. I'm outside of that. And my brain is trying to cope with something that I was not designed to cope with. So before we say, okay, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to put more blocks, and I'm going to feel worse about this behavior, understand, man, what is my brain trying to cope with and start to direct our attention towards that need? Oh, man, I'm, I'm walking around with all this anxiety because I'm not talking about it, or um, I'm stagnant because I'm not exercising, or name the, whatever that need is in your life. And we, we change the relationship. We stand in agreement with God and we separate ourselves from the behavior, just like Michaela was saying, instead of internalizing that behavior as part of identity. Oh, we got plenty of time. Keep going. Oh, good. Oh, the, no. I know the you piano heard the keys. Yeah, yeah. It was like queuing me up. Yeah, people were getting um, a- anxious, so we just brought. So we're yeah. talking about completing this loop. This is. This is actually where we got cut off last time. So you're going to get the little nugget I wanted to share with the last service. My, my wife even texted me as I was standing right there because I, I, was, I was saying just this morning I was talking to my wife. And then Dr. Matt was like, actually, we were out of time like 10 minutes ago. So we had to like leave. And she just texted me, uh, what story were you about to tell? Just this morning, I'm sitting with this, you know, this kind of nervous, excited, anxiety energy that I sit with every time I I have to speak. Because this is not my primary job, right? Like, I don't do this all the time. So I love it. I believe that God has gifted me to do it, but it's scary every single time I do it. And I'm about to run out the door, and I've got all this frenetic energy in my body. And there's this part of my brain that says, go resource. Go lean into your resource. And there's this other part of my brain that says, don't do it. Don't do it. Just stay it. Just stay anxious and stay in control and stay tense. It's like, okay. So I walked back upstairs to my wife, who's like um, getting our kids ready. And uh, I just paused and I said, would you tell me that you believe in me? And she knows exactly what I'm asking for because we've done this a lot before. And she just, she turned towards me and she said, Brian, I believe in you. You are gifted. God does amazing things through you. That even if this goes terrible, we suck. We're practicing that at home. It's, it was my homework last week to ask for what I needed. You're very good at this. This is why we do it. Even if this goes terrible, that you are still gifted and you are the king in this household. And I'm just like, all right, this is why I didn't want to do it because now I have tears coming down my face and I walked out and I got into the car and it came over with excitement that we, if we deny our suffering, and I use that word on purpose, if we deny these things that we say don't have a place at the table, we actually deny ourselves the resource in our partner. I can't go to my wife and say, would you just speak life over me? Unless I acknowledge, ooh, I'm carrying some fear. That I won't look good, some fear that they won't think I'm worthy, that they won't they won't think I'm helpful. And if I deny myself that, I can't go complete that loop. Yeah. Can you talk about how you talked about the pain? Yes, so incredible. Um, at the last service with Lazarus and Jesus and that example, that was very powerful. I think one of the, the main things that actually prevent us as God's body 
as the, as the body of Christ from walking in deeper fullness of joy is because we think that, that pain and suffering is preclusive to walking in victory. That we think that if I'm suffering, if I'm scared, if I'm angry, if I'm hurt, if I'm confused, then that means I'm not walking in faith. And we see a very different model in Christ's life. There's a scene where one of Christ's best friends, Lazarus, dies, and he hears about it, and he chooses not to go prevent the death. It's very strange. You're like, what are you doing here? And there's even a moment where he turns to Matthew, and he says, we got to wait, because God's about to build your faith. He's about to give you a deeper foundation for your faith. So Jesus clearly knows what's about to happen. And he finally shows up in Judea. He shows up where Lazarus is dead. And and what are the people who loved him doing? They're weeping. They're grieving the loss of their friend, their brother. Um, And Jesus shows up. And what he does blew my mind when I first first was realizing that the first thing he doesn't do is raise Lazarus. He doesn't reassure anybody. He goes and he sits down with Mary in the dirt. That was part of the way that they they grieved, that they sat in the dirt and they let themselves physically experience the suffering that they were living through emotionally. And he wept with the people who were brokenhearted over Lazarus. He wept with them. He didn't tell them, hey, don't worry about it. Watch what I'm about to do. He knew that before that they would be able to receive God's power, they needed to be seen. God needed to enter into their experience before they would go with God into his power. Jesus was not afraid to weep, even though he knew the end of the story. That means he wasn't even, he wasn't even like, okay, we got to go do this thing now. And like, yeah, I'm really sad too. It's hard, isn't it? Can we go raise him from the dead? He wept, meaning he actually felt. He entered into their pain. He let himself feel brokenhearted. And then he exercised God's power and raised Lazarus from the dead. And there's this loop that we never get to close. We go straight to the breakthrough and we miss out on the pain that your pain has really important data to tell you. Not just about what you're going through, but about what you more deeply believe. Everybody else there believed that Lazarus' story was over. And Jesus knew, I have to meet you in the pain of that narrative before I can tell you that there's a power that trumps death. I have to go into that with you. And so we deny ourselves the fullness of what's available by denying ourselves the pain. And we need to be able to say, man, I feel really scared. Or I've been walking through this last year with this like frenetic anxiety or this frustration or this like, why me, God, or, or this anger. And we need to experience somebody else say, man, I see you, I get it. And then our brain naturally, it wants to go to the next step. You know, when we, we keep reaching for people around us, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, we keep reaching for people with our pain and they just said, it's gonna be fine. But our brain never wants to move past the pain because your brain never got, those mirror neurons in your brain never got the reassurance that the reassurance they're offering you is trustworthy because they see you. And so we need to first make space for pain so that it can tell us the, the, the adaption, the, the faith, the true end of the story that, that God has for us. Come on, how good is that? Incredible. I mean, I don't want to go down a, another whole thing, but we got a few minutes. But I definitely want you to, you know, pray for us. You know, the, the greatest thing that I have found in having 
a person like Brian in our life, having a church like this, is that pretending is what messes us up. Pretending like we're doing great. Now, you don't put it on blast. You don't put it on Instagram or fight. But we have our couples that we do life with that we're not trying to pretend we have it all together. But we talk it through, we work it out. And then we can let God do what he's going to do. But when we go around, Christianese, put the mask, put the callus, isolate. Don't tell anybody. We've had good friends that everything was great. Best year of their life, move. And then it's full confessional. It sucked. Barely made it. Depressed. I'm like, oh my gosh, we did life with this couple. It was hurtful. Just like, man, I thought we... But there, it just showed me there wasn't a realness, an authenticity to what we were walking out. And it's amazing as Christians, we can get to the point that we're walking around so fake, we don't even know what real emotion is. And in this season, you're in a safe place here. That's why I love our marriage retreat. Man, it gets, it goes into deep places. You know, most Christians are offended about some people come here and they get uncomfortable. Like, you guys can't be. We've been told you guys are too happy. Uh, well, we're working it out. Oh, yeah, you guys are too, you expose too much. No, we just say, come down to the altar to receive prayer. This is where your life gets altered. And it's amazing how many people don't, but they want to. But fear of what man thinks instead of fear of the Lord. We got to get the Lord in the mix of everything we're walking through. You think it's easy for me to sit there and hear my wife's depressed? No, I was like devastated. I was like, what? I drink sunshine for breakfast. I spit pellets at her of joy. And then I was depressed and annoyed. And annoyed. It's true. And then I feel like I have to walk on eggshells. And then I'm not being authentic. So going and walking it and talking it out, fighting for one another, coming to a church, receiving prayer, doing those things are so important. And not living a life that isn't really what's going on at home. Getting the tools, the resources. You say, I don't have the money. That's okay. We have resources for you. We will help you go as far down the rabbit hole as you want, but guess what the first step is? When you move, he moves. We, we, we got to move so God can move. But the more we, you feel yourself wanting to go gaming or get on your phone or pour another drink or whatever it is for you, we all have a trigger. Everybody does. What's your trigger? First, expose your trigger. Tell your spouse, if you're single, tell your friend, hey, this is what I recognize about myself. This, I do these things, and I don't think it's healthy for me. Then that already exposes the lie of the enemy. He starts to lose a grip the minute you expose something you know is not elevating you into more righteousness. Righteousness is the right way of doing things. So if you know there's something that's putting a ceiling, expose it. And then we will help resource it. We'll break generational curses. We'll equip you with the right people. And then where there needs to be more mental health healing, we'll hook you up with the right people. What I love about this is 
going to the right people. Not, not all counselors are created equal. I apologize. Hey, not all chiropractors are created equal. I know that. I want, I want to go to the ones that are spirit-filled, that line up yep. the Word of God with what they learn clinically to get us the breakthrough as fast as possible. And the enemy hates it. The enemy hates that we'll come up here and talk about realness. The enemy hates being exposed for the liar that he is. So it's not your identity. Right. Christ gave you power to overcome. And don't feel bad about it. When you know, even when you go to confess something and you look down, that shame is coming upon you. Don't ever look down in front of me. The devil's a liar. We are here for you. We believe in you. Let on Valentine's Day, let things get exposed. Sure, does it get a little rough? Sure it does. Date nights at marriage retreat? Man, some people I just say, don't drive home. That's why we do it in Palm Springs. Because it might go south tonight. But we'll redeem it tomorrow. Because it's the first date they've been on maybe in 10 years. And it brought up a lot of bitterness. It doesn't matter. It got exposed. Now we got something to work with. So I'm going to have Brian, if you would just pray for us. And then um, I encourage you, get plugged into anything and everything. Go back, listen to relationship series, connect groups, start exposing some stuff. Always come to the altar if you feel stirred to do so. Thing is, I'm proud you made it here on Sunday. Pray for us, come on. Amen. God, we just thank you so much. We just stand in awe that you would refuse to leave us in our fear. We thank you for that your love is so voracious and so aggressive that it hunts us down and it surrounds us with people who will speak life if we will have ears to listen. And God, for every family, for every single person, every married person in this room, Lord, we know that we have been living in a society going through a fear pandemic for the last year, and fear is contagious. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would wake us up to any place in our heart where we are carrying fear. Fear is anger, fear is addiction, fear is sadness, fear is defeat. And you would begin the work of allowing us to name and separate ourselves, that you would empower us to come down to the altar and speak your power over that fear and feel your Holy Spirit break the dominion that fear takes over our life if it goes unnamed. God, we thank you for power. And we thank you that on the other side of our pain is your joy, that you are not afraid of our suffering, that you use it, even a pandemic, you use fear to squeeze us out of our survival mode into real life. And God, I pray that we would have the courage to respond to your Holy Spirit today. Speak that out and be set free in your name we pray. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.